Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. We're in Romans chapter 12 tonight, so if you want to turn up Romans chapter 12, uh, it's in the Bibles that are sort of on the seats and pews around you. I'm sure it's on your app, on the phone that you use, or whatever. Uh, Tonight uh, is sort of a the last night before we crack open the book of Acts again. So next week we start the series. Or we were in Acts late last year. We've had sort of a break through Christmas and into the new year. And then we're going to tuck back into the book of Acts from the latter part of chapter 4 and then onwards for about two months. Tonight, though, we're thinking about Romans chapter 12. And in particular, just thinking about what is it going to look like for us as individuals, as God's people here at City Light North Adelaide, And also as a church, what does it look like when the gospel's gripped us? And what could that look like this year as we think about it? Um, I'm, just to be up front, I'm I'm part of the staff team. I'm not the lead pastor here. I'm going to let the word of God do the talking. Um, I'm not setting our vision or agenda. Uh, I'm just literally going to open up Romans 12. And hopefully it's going to shape us as God's people. Well, his word will do that. But also I'm hoping that it will give us eyes to see opportunities before us going forward into 2019. Um, So I'm going to read it, uh, part of Romans 12, then I'm going to pray, and then we'll tuck in. So Romans chapter 12 uh, and verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we are many from one body, we are, who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contrib- contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for bringing us to this place tonight. And Father, we pray that by your spirit and through your word tonight, we would see Jesus. We pray that by your spirit and through your word, we would hear Jesus. And by your spirit and through your word, we would love Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, partway through last year, 2018, um, I sort of had what I would call a bit of a sabbatical, a bit of time out of ministry. 
Uh, and in that time out of ministry, I had the opportunity to get a whole bunch of things done, uh, sort of around the house, painted the kitchen, did other things. Uh, but one of the things I got to do was to re-watch some of the movies that I love from old. It was great. Um, I loved it. Um, and one of the favourite movies of all is the epic Lord of the Rings series. Um, it was great fun. I enjoyed it immensely to watch it. Now, there can be few movies, right, that can be so faithful to the book and yet on the screen bring that imaginary world to life in vivid colour. It's wonderful. I'm a big fan of the whole thing apart from the last 25 minutes of The Return of the King. The movie, Return of the King, goes for about three hours and 21 minutes. The problem, though, with The Return of the King? Well, the king returns about 25 minutes before the end of the movie. And then nothing happens. 25 minutes of self-indulgent, tying up loose ends, all this kind of Hobbit trivia happens. It's fine in the novel, but in the movie? Really? I find myself with this overwhelming urge at that moment to go out into the backyard and sweep the backyard again, or go back into my bedroom and fold my underwear, you know, Marie Kondo style, just do it all again, make it really neat. First three hours, right, of this film is just about the best cinematic experience you can ever have. You know, a mythical battle to end all mythical battles. The one ring is destroyed. The king returns and he's crowned. And when heck, he marries an elf. How good can it get? If only Peter Jackson at that moment had said, cut, that'll do, and allowed us to get on with our lives. But no, he forces us to sit through, I think, the greatest cinematic anticlimax in history. And he did it, it's a big call, yeah? Um, he did it because he wanted to be as faithful as he could to the book. Now, we're in Romans tonight, right? We've just dropped into Romans chapter 12. It comes after, you, you guessed it, 11 chapters that came before. Chapters 1 to 11 of the book of Romans, you might know it, I think is perhaps the most beautiful and impressive sustained piece of writing we have in the New Testament. It's got it all. Searching analysis of the human condition, incredibly rich theological depth, a fine discussion about the highs and the lows of living as a Christian in this world, the dangers of legalism, the joy of living by grace and in the power of the Holy Spirit in the here and now, the clearest exposition of the way God works and has worked through history up until now. And at the very end, right, of Romans chapter 11, after all that, you get, again, in my humble opinion, the greatest doxology in the Bible, where we read these words, for from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever, amen. And then there's four chapters to go. Four chapters, even if they don't mention any hobbits, they pile on, Paul piles on discussion about all these people we've never met before. And even though, thank the Lord, we're not taken back to details about the Shire, we are given a whole bunch of details about the city of Rome. Wouldn't it have been better, right, for Paul to have just gone, Romans 11, great doxology, and just drop the pen. Quit while you're ahead, Paul. Go out on a high. Well, Romans chapter 12, right, which we cracked open just before I read it, the first two verses, I think Paul just kind of nails the answer to my objection as to why I think he should just drop the pen or the quill or the whatever his scribe was writing with. Turns out, right, for Paul, Romans chapter 12 and all the following chapters isn't just about tying up loose ends. I mean, in effect, what Paul says, you know, the real action of the gospel, yes, it's happened, but it's really only just getting going. 
You see, the chapters that begin with verses 1 to 2 really are only the start because what Paul does here, he, he just lays out the gospel, the beauty of the gospel. And then he kind of goes from chapter 12, he says, now what does it actually mean on the ground? Like, what does the gospel actually mean on the street level? It's pretty much what he does. How does the gospel transform, reshape our lives, the lives of the Romans he's writing to, our lives here tonight in City Light, North Adelaide? You can read the heart of the message of these chapters in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. They're really like a headline for this section of the book. So have a look with me. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I love those two verses, right? Because in two verses, Paul sort of succinctly brings together the two big differences that the gospel makes in our lives. What are these differences? Well, the first difference is that the gospel brings worship into the real world every single day of our lives. And the second thing, it opens up a whole new way of thinking and living in the world. Do you see that? The gospel opens up real world worship and opens up this new way of thinking about pretty much everything. So first, let's briefly think that the gospel takes worship out of the temple and brings it into the world 24-7. According to the Paul, Paul, that's the impact of the gospel, right? What's the gospel? The gospel is the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the subsequent pouring out of the Holy Spirit on God's people. And the the work of the gospel, Jesus' death, resurrection, pouring out of the Holy Spirit, is to bring worship out of the temple into the world 24-7. Now, of course, when Paul says this, right, he's not saying all that stuff that happened in the Old Testament where people went to the temple to worship God, all that is not kind of redundant, as if to say, you know, they got it entirely wrong. Because actually the law of God made it really clear that every Israelite, all of God's people, were to worship God every day. They were to be devoted to him every day, not just when they were hanging out in the temple building. Even as early as King David, they got the fact that worship was all of life. David says in Psalm 51, I think it's on the screen, Yeah, you will not, he's speaking about God, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. He knew, David knew that worship was an all-day, everyday heart thing. It's not a new idea. But what Paul's saying to you and I through his letter to the Romans is that, well, through the gospel, we can actually now pull off this all-day, everyday kind of worship thing. Before Jesus, they couldn't do it. But now we can the power of the gospel is, allows us, makes it possible now for off, to offer ourselves wholeheartedly to God. In Romans 12, verse 1, Paul isn't saying, this is not, he's not saying, now, guys, look at Jesus. He's done so much for you. You really should start paying him back for all that he's done for you, all that you've got. He's not saying that. Paul's saying, don't you realize, brothers and sisters, that in Jesus... All that he's done for you. How he's now made it possible for you to worship God all day, every day in the strength that he supplies. So get on with it. That's what he's saying. 
Because the only response to the gospel that actually makes sense is the only response that fits. That's why Paul's so passionate, urging on the basis of all that God has done, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It's the only worship that makes sense. In light of all that Jesus has done, the only logical and the only rational thing to do is the only worship that fits. The way has been opened up by Jesus for us to know and enjoy and delight in God and our King every day. Now that phrase, right, living sacrifice, which comes up in verse 1, does throw up some like, interesting exegetical little challenges. Um, you see, does the word living in the living sacrifice little thing, does the word living just underline that we don't have to die to sin because Jesus, our substitute, has already died for our sin? Or does it go further and mean that now under the, the new covenant, a whole new way of doing things has kind of been opened up, introduced, where for those of us who've been born again, we can now serve Jesus all day and every day in the power of the Spirit. So is it we don't have to die to our sin, or is it we've been spiritually made alive so we can serve Christ? I think it's probably the latter, that we now come to God as his spiritually alive children, but I could be wrong. But I know I'm not wrong about the implications of the word sacrifice. Even when prefaced by living, the word sacrifice still carries with it the stench of death. The worship that makes sense for people like us is what? It's not that Jesus has made up, just that Jesus, you know, Jesus made us, now it's possible for us to kind of float through all of life with this sort of pious look on our faces if we're detached from the world. No, Jesus made it possible for us to respond to the gospel all day, every day. And that includes self-examination repentance, a grace-fueled effort and resolve to worship him and live for him. This 24-7 worship, this worship that has been blown out of the temple into the real world, all of life, it's demanding, it's painful, it's humbling, it's all-consuming. We are to be living sacrifices, freed by Jesus' death to die, if you like, freed up by the gospel to put sin to death, that's what it means to be a living sacrifice. As new men, new women in the Lord Jesus, we need to die now after Jesus. Gospel makes it possible for people like you and me to die to ourselves, die to our agendas, die to our selfishness, die to our meanness, die to our desire to judge other people, desire to get ahead at all costs. Freezes up to die to self-seated nastiness and prejudice. Frees us up from that desire for us that we want to be king. Frees us to live a gospel-driven, grace-fueled, living death because this is real worship. This glorious 27, 24-7, wholehearted devotion, it's just the irresistible outflow of the gospel and encountering the resurrected Jesus. We've got to take this seriously because this is what worship involves. It's only half of the story, though, because the second part of that headline, chapter 12, verse 1, is that the gospel now opens up a whole new way of thinking. Uh, Paul says, chapter 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this 
world. The, the word usually translated world there is actually in the original eon or eon, uh, age, epoch. And although world, it's not a terrible translation, it kind of does miss Paul's emphasis here. You see, he's already made it clear that being, being joined to the Lord Jesus, we've been set free from the, the thought patterns and the way of living in this present age. The age to come has broken into this age and we've been swept up and rolled into God's new community, into his new kingdom, into a new way of living. We're no longer trapped in that downward and deadly spiral of acting and thinking that Paul outlines earlier from chapter 1, verse 18. The new age and, and our new life has begun. And so the process of our, our thought processes and our actions are now slowly being lined up with those of the Lord Jesus. Paul says elsewhere, right, that we have now in Jesus the mind of Christ. And as we negotiate the messy business of life, God works gradually in us making a real difference, even though it's sometimes through our trial and error. Sometimes we get it right, sometimes we get it wrong. We're not made perfect, but as we grow into having the mind of Christ, as we trans our minds and our, our, our actions are transformed by the gospel, we actually grow in an awareness of what is good and perfect and acceptable, the will of God. And we'll still get it wrong, right? But by the grace of God, we find we get it wrong less often. And the sort of the trajectory of our graph, if you kind of look at holiness, is kind of on the up, even though at times you're going to have some pretty significant dips. You see, the headline of this whole section, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, announces we've been freed up to, to worship the Lord Jesus Christ 24-7 in an all-encompassing, all-consuming way. We've been free to, to die and now live with him and for him. And even now we're experiencing the effects of the new age breaking into the present age as we begin to start to think and act and do things more like Jesus. So at this point, like, how's that going for you? How are you going with Romans 12 verse 1? How are you going with Romans 12 2? I don't really need to spell this out, right? We're all adults. We know what to do with this. Now, how are you going with worshipping Jesus as the heartbeat of your life all day, every day? How are you going with being someone who is alive to Christ and, and constantly dying with Christ? How are we going with having our thinking transformed? Is your thinking kind of, I don't know, clearer or more confused? Is the graph kind of up or is it down? I'm not really sure, perhaps, if there are any more searching questions than these as we kick off 2019. These are the kinds of things we really need to, to think about, take away and think over the next couple of days, the next week, the next months or so. As we think through, work through the implications of living out Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 in our lives day to day. Now, I don't know, as you heard me read out Romans chapter 12, you, you probably picked up, I'm sure, that it's just packed with one-liners, right? And we could probably spend the rest of 2019 just tapping our way through the Romans chapter 12 and all the implications. I'm just going to paint with broad brushstrokes, really, tonight um, what it might look like for us to be individually God's people here as we go out into the world, but also corporately as a church. And what could this, what does Romans 12 have to say to us here at City Light North Adelaide as we enter 
2019, that we might worship differently, think differently. And I really just want to talk about two things tonight, um, two things that I think arise out of Romans chapter 12 and those passages that I read. Um, I'd be surprised, actually, if we picked up what the two things kind of are as we think about it tonight. What are the two things, right, that Paul talks about, speaks about, as he says, you know, here's the glorious, beautiful gospel. Now here's what it looks like in your lives, in the life of the church. What are the two things that he says about and starts about with the church? Well, the first one, verses 3 to 8, that dominates is actually this. Here it comes. Self-awareness. Chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. Don't get carried away with yourself. I think it's a good place to start as we kick off 2019, as we launch our year. You may have never thought about this, right? But self-awareness should be one of the things that kind of sets the church of the Lord Jesus apart from the world. Look at what Paul says, chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, about 500 years ago, I talk about this guy all the time, John Calvin, right? 500 years ago, a man named John Calvin opened his profound book, right, called The Institutes of the Christian Religion with this statement. There he is, beautiful picture of John Calvin. Um, it's exactly what he looked like, apparently. No. He started with this. Nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. Self-knowledge, self-awareness, according to Calvin, is both vital but in short supply. But it's a crucial mark of the church. The church is a place, right, where people should be able to walk in. City Light North Adelaide should be a place where people can walk in and they're immediately surrounded by a bunch of people who are extremely self-aware. Now, this wasn't a new insight by Calvin 500 years ago in the you know, 16th century. Augustine, one of the church fathers, about 300s AD, had exactly the same idea. He was crystal clear on the fact that knowing God and knowing ourselves is intimately linked. Calvin says that self-awareness is at the centre of the heart of the gospel. Augustine says it's, at the, it's the same. So does Paul. Before Paul says anything about how we are to serve God by serving one another and then serving the world, before he says a word about how God in his grace has equipped us, he wants us to make sure that we have a right view of ourselves. He says, don't get too carried away with yourselves, brothers and sisters in Christ at North Adelaide. According to Paul, most of us have a tendency to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Who here tonight in North Adelaide thinks of themselves more highly than they ought? Put your hand up. Oh, wow, a few people. Yeah, great. I mean, I'm told, right, that most Australian men believe they are above average at sport. <laughs> I'm told that. I mean, men here tonight, do you think you're above average at the sport you love? Yes, there you go. Tom, he could play for the Sydney Swans, right? I mean, look at him. He's a brute. Um, I, I, I ride bikes, right? And when the Tour de Nanda comes to Adelaide, I'm like, I could do that for about 50 metres, you know? I'm watching the Australian cricket team right now. I'm like, I could open the bowling for them. I could roll Sri Lanka. No dramas. We all think a little bit too highly of ourselves. But Paul here, right, speaking to Christians... 
Let's not think more highly of ourselves than we ought, but according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, this is one of the points, right, where all the commentators on this particular moment could go a little bit pear-shaped. They spiral off into thinking about how faith is dispensed, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm not sure it's all that complicated. From the moment in the book of Romans that Paul mentions that, you know, it's by grace that he is an apostle, that he's been given this great responsibility of to preach the gospel and bring about through the power of the Spirit the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Paul's just been banging on about faith in Christ, faith or trust. Faith is what matters. Faith is how we are joined to Christ. Faith, that gift given to us by God, is the thing. Now, Romans 12, he says, focus on faith. I mean, the question we need to ask ourselves is, am I trusting God? If you insist on having a measure of how you are doing spiritually, take this one, do I trust God? I'm pretty sure we can answer that question almost instinctively. Am I trusting God right now? Sure, we can dress it up, we can say the right things, we can stand up, sit down at the right times, but only you know what the answer to that question genuinely is. So over the past week, to what extent have you trusted God rather than trusting yourself? Has the way in which you've prayed this week revealed that you're trusting God or, yep, no, I can handle it all? When you read the Bible this week, have you, have you read it in desperation because you want to hear the word of God, you've needed God to come through, or, or have you done it just perfunctorily because, well, I really can manage things on my own? Have you, thought more about, have you thought more about what you need to fix this week rather than reflecting on the fact that God is in control and he's better placed to sort things out than you are? In the past week or so, when stuff's gone wrong with your work, your spouse, your kids, your friends, when work's been painful, have you, have you run to God? They're all trust issues and this is what matters. Paul says, there is the measure. Have you been trusting God? And Paul says, this is the first feature of a gospel-shaped, grace-fueled life. Do we have an accurate picture of ourselves? How do you get this accurate picture? How do you get self-awareness? Um, I like Calvin and Hobbes. I like cartoons. Um, and here's a cartoon on the screen for you from Calvin. There they are. Um, Calvin's there and he says he's offering a swift kick in the butt for a dollar. How's business? Terrible. It's hard to believe. I can't understand it. Everybody I know needs what I'm selling. You feel that? Swift kick up the butt. We need several things, right? We and often we probably could do with a swift kick up the butt. You know, we need to ask God to constantly expose. How do you, I mean, how do you get self-awareness? We need to ask God to to constantly be exposing our sin by His Spirit through His Word. And if we're not reading the Bible and we're not seeing ourselves reflected in its pages, we won't be self-aware. We need to be reading the Bible. We also need to think hard about ourselves and our behaviour. We need to take time out to reflect on ourselves. You know, often I'm a cyclist um, and I spend each morning out on the bike for at least an hour and a half and I find that's just a time where I'm, I don't know what I'm doing half the time, I'm just pedalling a bike, but I think in that time I'm self-reflecting and I sit down, have a coffee and regurgitate something out. Reflecting on myself. We also need our closest friends, right, to regularly deliver for free, not a dollar, 
that loving kick up the butt that we so often need but so often don't want. You know, it's why we need to be gathering together, not just here on a Sunday night, but together during the week in small groups, our discipleship groups, so we can each be kicking each other up the butt, basically, as we read the Word, as the Word just sort of does its soul-piercing, joint-marrow-stretching work as we just live our lives together. We're exposed, and we're doing that in the company and confidence of people we know who love us and have our backs. If you're not in a DG, talk to me, talk to someone you're here with tonight. You know, and we need to, to get that self-awareness, right? We need to be asking hard questions of one another. You know, was I being ungodly? Was that manipulative? Tell me, I mean, have you ever seen me do that before? Is that really what I'm like? Ask those questions. Once, when I was at Moore College, when I was studying theology, um, I was in a small group of blokes, right? There was five of us guys, and we'd meet every Tuesday morning at nine till 10, and uh, we'd go to one of the guys' houses, and we called it the mother's group, five guys with mother's group. Why did we do that? Because we drank coffee, we talked a lot, and, well, that's what mothers do in mother's group, right? You know, drink coffee, talk a lot. So we call ourselves the mother's group, cheekily. Um, but in that, we did this thing once, right, where we, we each kind of did this self-awareness, self-reflective thing. Maybe you could do this in your DGs. It could be kind of terrifying. But we did this where one person basically <laughs> sat on a chair and everyone in the group got to sort of say exactly what they thought about that person and what the impression they get of them. And so you're sitting there on the hot seat and people are just going, bam, 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 you know. And then it was like, so, back to you. Is that what you think you are? It was kind of like terrifying, but good. It kind of gave us this real sense of, yeah, okay, I'm seeing things, but I'm not seeing things. Self-awareness. We need to be in those. But we need to do this, right? And the reason we could do that was because we're in this covenant community, this community where we were confident and loved each other and wanted the best for each other, wanted to see each other grow to be like Jesus. Um, We need to do this self-awareness stuff so that our communities, big, small, medium, can actually function really well. That's why Paul says in verse 4 of chapter 12, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service, in our serving, and so on and so on. I'm not going to go through the list in detail. Paul's point is pretty clear. You see, trusting God and the obedience that flows from faith is the big deal. When we trust in God, we see that we are never more than sinners forgiven by grace. And as a result, our lives are marked by a gospel-shaped self-awareness. And when we are self-aware, we're freed up to serve and love properly, both in the church and beyond. That's the first thing that flows from the gospel. The second thing you'll see in verses 9 to 12, it's other person-centeredness, the kind of community that you want to be. Other person-centeredness. Verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You know, as far as we know, 
that the church at Rome that Paul's writing to in the first century uh, was tempted, like all these early churches were tempted, to establish like a pecking order at church according to how gifted people were. You know, the more public the role, the more gifted, the higher the status was, and that sort of pecking order flowed from there. And you know what? Paul loathed, loathed that. He hated it. You know, not only does he coin the word charismata, grace things, to emphasize that any ability that any of us have in the people of God is a gift from God, he also shifts the conversation from what can I do to who can I serve. In these few verses, there's this beautiful other person-centeredness view of church. There is this passionate, this prayerful, this other person-centered community that arises from the gospel of Jesus. These few verses paint the kind of vivid picture of the kind of church that I want to be part of. The kind of church that I want to see established in Adelaide, scattered across South Australia. And one of the things we, a desire we have, right, is that at City Light Church, the family of churches, that we see a discipleship group established in every single suburb of this city. We, we desire to see a church planted in every kind of is it local government area right across the city of Adelaide. You know, I'm in the shoot, right, to be the lead pastor here at North Adelaide, and, and the Lord keeps laying on my heart a vision to see City Light North Adelaide kind of churches, but not called City Light North Adelaide churches, planted all the way down Main North Road, that, that way, right? You know, Jeps Cross, Salisbury, bam, out to Gawler, that this just multiplying communities. You know, communities like the ones that are pictured here in Romans chapter 12, a community where people genuinely put other people before other, other, you know, themselves after other people, where people really do love one another. A community where, where its members really do get worked up about evil, where people weep and mourning when earthquakes and floods and droughts hit, when, when people in our city get date raped, when babies are terminated and God's people are abused or martyred around the world, where people are passed over for promotions at work because they follow Jesus. I want to be part of a community like that. A community where the glory of God is celebrated 24-7, where it's proclaimed and enjoyed by its people. A community where the gospel is proclaimed and defended. A community where people walk in and they feel like they're at home. And when we're not at church, we, we feel like we're being missed. Communities where people are fighting to put other people first, where we're spurred on wholeheartedly to live for Jesus. A community where people just live to serve the Lord. And his people. Do you want to be part of a community like that? Anyone? I do. I want to be part of a community marked by a real sense of joy in Jesus, where we taste together what it will be like to enjoy God forever in the new creation when we gather together on Sundays or in our DGs. A community that shows patience in suffering, a community that prays together, a community that is constantly generous, where we share our money and our lives with whoever comes across our paths. I want to be part of a gospel-shaped, grace-fueled church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes, sometimes I think we have far too lower expectations of the local church. I reckon we do. I do. 
But, but Paul, right, he writes here and throughout the New Testament, he says the local church should be like a taste of heaven, a taste of the future reality that's going to be pulled off by Jesus when he turns up again when the trumpets sound and he makes all things new. That's what the church should be. Why? It should be that case because of the gospel of God. Because of Romans chapter 1 to 11. Because of the gospel being so extravagant, so extraordinary, so transformative, so uniquely powerful, we ought to expect it to produce something remarkable and extraordinary on the ground today, now. You see, to be gospel people is to have a ridiculously high view of the local church whilst holding a shockingly realistic view of ourselves. You know, to be gospel people is to have a ridiculously high view of the local church, this sort of thing, whilst having a shockingly realistic view of ourselves. The two big things, right, that we see here, and Paul goes on, right, to show the rest of Jeremiah's chapter 12, we ought to be a church, a family that is welcoming to the outsider. But the two big things is that this, uh, this self-awareness that comes from the gospel, we're only ever sinners saved by grace. And by faith and by grace, on our trajectory to see God and enjoy him forever in the new creation. But secondly, a church that is other person-centered. I talked at the beginning, right, about Return of the King, the last 25 minutes being the greatest anticlimax in cinematic history. And then I paralleled that with being maybe Romans 12 is the greatest anticlimax to the greatest letter in the greatest book of the, of the world. Well, do you reckon it's the greatest anticlimax? I don't think so. This is no Peter Jackson-style return of the king. Because what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, it's, like a, it's a game changer. For Paul, the impact of the gospel forming and sustaining vibrant communities can't be overstated. The gospel propels real people into the real world with renewed thinking, worshipping the Lord 24-7. Suddenly the gospel launches us with grace-fueled self-awareness and other person-centeredness and much more. It's exciting. It's almost like you'd want to be part of this movement, right? But of course, it's really hard to pull this off, even together. Gospel-driven worship, gospel-fueled thinking prove really hard to keep up, at least I feel like it is. Self-awareness, in my experience, is pretty elusive. Loving other people is really hard work. You know, Paul, in one of his other letters to the Philippians, he writes, you know, actually before the words we spoke together from Philippians before, he says, you know, he, the lead into that is have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who did not count equality with God something to be grasped. Before that, his big command is um, think of others more highly than yourself. Put others' needs before your own. And I reckon that's the hardest, personally, I think that's one of the hardest set of commands to do in all of the Bible. To, to put other people's needs before my own, it's hard. I don't know, perhaps for us tonight, for you tonight, there's one of those things more than one of the others that you're struggling with. Maybe you're battling to worship God. Maybe you're struggling to delight in God. Maybe your thinking's a bit skewed. Are you pretending? Are you loving yourself more than others? I don't know. Whether you're struggling with one of them, whether you're struggling with the whole of Romans 12, take heart in this. This is who we are. 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. It may not feel like it, it may not look like it, but this is what the gospel produces over time. This is what we're rescued to be. This is what we are and this is what we are becoming. You know, one day, Romans 12, right, will be just gone. We won't need it anymore. Because Jesus will return and all that we've been redeemed to be will come to pass and we'll be with God and enjoy him forever. This is who we are. This is who we're safe to be. This is who we will be. Save church of the Lord Jesus to enjoy life forever with him. So I'm praying that this year as we step forward together as a family of God's people, that God by his grace would give us glimpses but sustained glimpses of Romans 12, where we have wonderful moments of self-awareness shared together in the community and confidence of God's people, but also beautiful moments of other person's centeredness. Let's pray together and ask God to make that happen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has died for our sins and made us new. Father, we thank you, Father, for that wonderful reality that we read of in this book of Romans. We thank you, Father, that the reality of the gospel doesn't just stay in a book or theoretical or just in our minds, but, Father, your gospel is powerful and it transforms us. Father, we pray for ourselves here at City Light North Adelaide Father, we pray that by your spirit you'd grow in us this year a real sense of gospel-generated self-awareness. Father, we pray that we would fight sin and in fighting sin grow to be more like Jesus. Father, help us to be obedient to Christ, we pray, and to step out in faith with him in 2019. And Father, as we do that, grow in us not just the mind and the heart but the, the desire, like Jesus, to serve others. Father, give us opportunities to serve, we pray, uh, the suburb of North Adelaide. Uh, Father, help us to serve one another in the strength that you give us by your spirit. Father, make us a church deeply committed to you, a church deeply committed to one another. Uh, Make us a church like Romans 12, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.